A moment's prayer before the sermon. Let us pray. May the words that I speak now, the thoughts and the feelings that we all now experience, be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It struck me as I was preparing for this service this week that I had not heard anyone say for a long time that they were suffering from their nerves. It used to be a common description of illness, particularly of women's illnesses. They are suffering from their nerves. We no longer use it because we now know there's all sorts of different ways that people suffer from what used to be called their nerves. So we now call it specifically. And sometimes you can get names of illnesses that are three miles long. In the ancient world, they did not distinguish some illnesses from each other because they had not yet got the medical science to do so. And so any sort of skin complaint was called what we now term leprosy, or as the translation that you've heard of both the Old Testament and the New Testament passage this morning, a dreaded skin disease. That wasn't a single thing. It was a whole family of illnesses that we now of different causes. Some of them were contagious, some were not. Some were fatal, and some were not. But the people then could not distinguish one from the other. So they treated them all as if they were highly contagious and probably fatal. And what do you do if you're exercising common sense and you know that someone has got some sort of contag possibly contagious and possibly fatal disease, you make sure that other people don't come into contact with them. You isolate them. And again, in the early parts of the 20th century, there used to be things called isolation hospitals, where people with difficult diseases, particularly unknown diseases, were placed to make sure that other people could not contact them and they could not contact or touch, in particular, others. And these sort of illnesses become not just a medical illness, they become an illness which has profound social effects. It isolates people from other human beings. It separates them out. And nowadays we talk about treating people like lepers. As if they are so dangerous that everybody else has to steer clear of them. The modern example has been people with AIDS. Again, there's a family of illnesses we now know 
which count as AIDS, or what we first thought of as AIDS, but people with AIDS for a time were separated off, were feared, were not to be met, were not to be touched, and certainly were not to be allowed to touch anybody else, because who knows what we might catch or how. Now we know there's very specific ways in which AIDS is transmitted and other forms of social interaction are not dangerous with AIDS sufferers. It took Princess Diana in England to go in a film opportunity to go to people with AIDS and touch them before people really got the message that AIDS sufferers should not be isolated and that it was not that dangerous. But people were afraid. And in the time of Jesus and in the time of the Old Testament, people were afraid of people with skin diseases. And it had the same social effects as well as medical effects as AIDS has in our year in our era. And what people are afraid of, they normally don't talk about. They certainly don't talk about directly because if you're afraid of it, you don't want to know about it. And if you don't want to know about it, you don't talk about it. And if you don't talk about it and put words to it, then it's something that you can't really get your head round and so you become even more afraid of it. And if you only talk about it in vague ways, then other people don't know what it is either. And we pass on ignorance and we pass on fear. And sometimes you get not a deliberate conspiracy of silence but a sort of implicit agreement to be silent. That's what happened for years about AIDS. And there are still people in parts of the world today where, who would prolong the silence about AIDS. And something which is not a medical problem, but is a moral problem, I guess, has been similar things have been happening this week. This week in Rome, bishops from all around the Catholic world have been meeting to discuss the issues of sexual abuse by clergy of people in churches. The thing nobody wants to talk about. And one Vatican official described it as a culture of silence like the Mafia's Omerta. We are so frightened of these things. We don't want to believe that they might be happening. So we don't talk about them. And of course, if we don't talk about them, we can't do anything about them. If we can't do anything about them, then they'll probably go on happening. 
and that's why I was pleased to hear that a conference was taking place this week to address the issues. Well, in the story that we heard from the Old Testament, you found a story there of someone who had a skin disease. We don't know at this distance what sort of skin disease it was. This was a very senior general in an army. If it had become publicly known that he had a skin disease, he would not have been able to be a general in the army. He would have been separated out. He would have been isolated But he didn't know whether what he had was one of the highly contagious, fatal versions of skin disease or something that wasn't highly contagious and might be curable. And as a last throw, a last chance, he is persuaded that there might just be a man of God in a small foreign country who might be able to help him. And he persuades his king to send him there with a letter of introduction to the king of that country, to the king of Israel. Because the man of God is the prophet that we heard about. And when the king of Israel gets the letter from the foreign king, who is a much king of a much bigger country, a much more powerful country, the king of Israel reads the situation politically and he is scared. Why is this big powerful king sending his general to me in order for me to get a prophet in my country to cure him? He's got possibly an incurable disease. This is a trick. I'm being set up, says the king of Israel. Because if we don't cure him, the king of Aram will use us as an excuse for invading us. Such things don't happen about curing people of diseases now. But it's not unknown for countries to request things of smaller countries and then when, they don't, when the smaller country is not capable of doing what they're asked, of sending in the troops or sending in the financiers or somehow taking over. The politics still play out. But Elisha, the prophet, the man of God, tells the king of Israel not to despair and he does agree to see Naaman, the foreign general. And you heard the wonderful story of Naaman coming. And because he's a big, powerful general, he expects to be treated. He rolls up in the modern form. It would be a whole cavalcade of limousines. But he comes with all his chariots and his retinue to this small place where a humble prophet lived. And because he's big and important, everywhere he goes, there's big and important things happen around him. He expects what the prophet does to be big and important as well. And instead of dressing up in all sorts of fine clothes and doing all sorts of strange tests and 
be the equivalent of going to a hospital these days and insisting on having all sorts of very expensive equipment wired up to you. Instead of going through all that sort of palaver, all that Elisha says is, see that river over there? Just go and dip yourself in it seven times. That's all. And Naaman says, I'm not doing that. Much too demeaning. Much too simple. You're not treating me seriously. And it is, of course, his servants who have to come to him and go, <coughs> excuse me, sir. <coughs> um, if the prophet had asked you to do something difficult, would you have done it? To which the answer is yes. Well, why don't you try doing what he's asked, even though it's simple? And Naaman does. And the miracle that you heard about occurs. Lots of the stories in Mark's Gospel about Jesus are told as if Jesus is remembering the stories of Elijah and Elisha. The one we heard about Naaman was Elisha. But the stories of Elijah and Elisha is as if Jesus has them at his back of his mind. And certainly as if Mark, when he writes his Gospel, has them at the back of his mind. And he sees that Jesus is echoing and repeating some of the things that Elijah and Elisha did. And we heard this morning, in those last verses of chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel, we heard the story of Jesus dealing with someone, again, with a skin disease. Leprosy, we used to call it. So here again is someone who is isolated, and he comes in despair to Jesus because he's heard of and possibly seen from a distance, of course, Jesus healing people. And he says to Jesus, you can make me clean, you can cure me because these skin diseases made people medically ill they made people socially isolated, but they also made it impossible for them to take part in religious ceremonies. They were counted as unclean, unholy, by definition, because of their skin disease. So this man can't go to the synagogue, he can't go to the temple, he can't take part in the practices of his faith. And he says to Jesus, you can make me holy again, you can make me clean again, you can make me cured again, if you want. And that's the interesting thing. He says, if you want to, if you choose to, you can do it. Well, what a thing to say to Jesus. If you want to if you choose to. But this man has been conditioned to be isolated. This man is already breaking taboos by coming to talk to Jesus at all. This man has been conditioned to not mix with people because of his skin disease. This man assumes that Jesus will be like all the rest 
and will do anything he can to avoid him. He believes Jesus will want to avoid him because that's what everybody else does. What the law says they have to do. What common sense says they should do. And he assumes that Jesus will want to do the same. And then we get a very interesting thing. The next verse of Mark's Gospel says something which is so shocking that from the earliest days, our early manuscripts of Mark's Gospel have two different words. Some have one and some have the other. The later manuscripts are the ones which translations normally follow. And they say that Jesus was moved with pity at the start of verse 41. Jesus was moved with pity when this man spoke to him. The older manuscripts have a more difficult word. They say Jesus got angry. And you can see why that was probably the original, because it's such a difficult idea, Jesus getting angry, that people softened it. Jesus had pity. But actually, Jesus is angry. Jesus was quite capable of being angry. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, was not the Jesus who turned over the tables and the, the money changers in the temple. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, was not the Jesus who strode into the middle of situations and sorted them out. Jesus was fully human, like you and me, and was quite capable of being angry. Sometimes people make that sound slightly more, except by saying he was filled with righteous indignation. But he's angry, like you and I. Why is he angry? Well, he may be angry because this person thinks that Jesus may not want to help him. He's more likely to be angry at what has made this man think like that in the first place. The fact that he's been conditioned to believe by the way people have treated him that he's an outcast, that he is, as we would say these days still, a leper. That he is dangerous, that he's contagious, that he must be kept away from people. And the first thing that Jesus does, Jesus doesn't say anything. Jesus is angry and he immediately puts out his hand and touches him. Just think what that meant. Here is a man with a disease which was believed to be highly contagious and fatal. And Jesus touches him. Just think what that meant for the man who had the disease. Again, Jesus doesn't say, go and do all these difficult things for three months and you might get better. Jesus just reaches out and touches him. He makes physical contact with him 
And he says, I do choose. I'm not going to abandon you like everybody else. Be healed. Be clean. And then Jesus sends him off. Jesus sends him off to go and see the priest. Because the Old Testament law of Moses said that if you had got a skin disease and it looked like you were cured, only the priest could give you a certificate to say that you were cured and that you were fit to enter human society again. So the social isolation caused by his disease is only going to be undone when he gets a certificate from the priest. So Jesus makes him clean and says, now go straight away to the priest and show that you are now clean and get your certificate. And don't tell people what's happened until you've got that certificate. Well, of course, the man can't keep it to himself. So he goes round on his way to the priest, telling everybody. And that just makes Jesus' life even more difficult. Because now even more people flock to him to see miracles. And so Jesus can't even move around in the towns at ease. So he goes out into the countryside and stays there for a time. He spends a lot of his time in the wilderness and people come to see him where there is more space. What I want to leave you with is in your imagination put yourself into the place of the man who had this skin disease. Think of the things that mar your life and separate you from other people. Think of the things that you would not expect Jesus to do for you because you don't deserve it or because you're not good enough. And then hear Jesus saying to you, like he said to that man, I'm angry that you think I'm not going to be bothered with you. I'm angry at the system that's made you think like that. And in your imagination, feel Jesus touching you and telling you that you're free, that you're holy, that you're okay. And thank God. Amen.